Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Open Mic. So happy to have you with us today. You ever think about how tough it is to get started in life when you move out of your parents' home, for example? You have to get a job, find a place to live, and cope with all of the problems and issues that come at you day in and day out. Now, imagine doing that as a newly released inmate. You come out of prison, labeled as an ex-con, you probably don't have a great family support system, and now you need a job and a place to live. It can be overwhelming for the thousands of men and women who are released from prison every year. Trying to help them overcome the many obstacles are organizations like Pioneer Human Services in Seattle, Washington. Joining us now to share with us the struggles and solutions is Pioneer's own CEO, Karen Lee. Truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. I'm going to tell you things that most lawyers won't tell you. We expose the truth and bring you justice. I want you to go for the win in law and in life. Nice to meet you, Mike. Hi, Karen. Nice to meet you. Welcome to Open Mic. Uh, on our show, we do lots and lots of episodes from people getting out of prison. And usually it's people who were wrongfully convicted in the first place, which has its own troubles and struggles. And, you know, I was reading through your website and looking at all the great um, work that you are doing, helping people who are getting released from prison and jail. Um, there's lots of things that these folks need to adjust on the outside. So let's just start with housing because a lot of the people we've interviewed talk about how there's just no real support system um, for housing. Their families aren't there for them a lot of the time, unfortunately. Um, tell us, Tell us about those struggles and tell us what you guys are doing for them. Certainly. Um, housing is probably the biggest challenge that people face when they are coming from incarceration. There haven't really been a lot of studies, um, but uh, the few that have been done um, universally have statistics that say something like... Um, one in 10 people that are homeless have a uh, conviction history. Um, and some of the programs that, um, that we offer to individuals, 50% of the people that are coming out of incarceration have insecure housing plans um, as they leave and as they transition. So it is definitely uh, a serious challenge that I think we should address in society. And then to compound that, challenge, there is discrimination by landlords. Uh, when people, um, so when people are exiting from incarceration, particularly if they've been incarcerated a long time, and, and I will come back, Mike, and talk about people that um, are um, wrongfully convicted and have a sudden release date. It's even a larger challenge for, 
for those individuals because they haven't had the planning time while they were incarcerated to release. Good point. Uh, so um, it, 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 is, it is a serious, serious challenge that I think that we have the, op- the obligation to address in society. So, um, so if someone needs to rent an apartment, you or I, we drive around the city that we live and we decide the neighborhood that we want to live in. Then we decide we want to rent a, a townhouse, triplex, duplex, apartment, a condo. Once we make those decisions, we sort of look at how much we earn and what we can afford and we save up money for a down payment. And so when it's time for, uh, I'll call it a civilian in this case, somebody, someone who has not been incarcerated during our show, I will call a civilian. So as a civilian, we will, uh, you know, fill out the rental application, pay $35. We find out in a day or two that we've been approved. We pay the deposit and um, we move in at the end of the month. Well, just imagine that you don't have any down payment money. Um, If you can get that from a resource in the community, you then have to decide what you can afford and you're searching for employment at the same time. So by default, you have to be in the lowest income area of town. Then on top of that, you fill out an application and um, you call and you talk to the man, the, uh, the rental manager and you ask, do you accept people that have a felony conviction? The rental manager, the property manager will answer, well, it's a case-by-case basis. It depends. Submit your application and we will let you know. And time after time after time, People that are formerly incarcerated, they pay the $30, $40, or $50 to submit their application, and then it comes back denied because it's a racket. Mm -hmm. And so, and they don't have a lot of money to start. Some people only get $40 when they release. How are you going to be able to afford any place to live with that amount of money? So, um, it is definitely something that uh, we do our best to offer here um, in Seattle with, in, with the apartments that we operate, but we don't have enough for everyone. And more often than not, um, when you do reach out to Pioneer, uh, you know, it's quite often that we're full because we don't have in our, um, in what I would call our, our inventory of apartments, we don't have an, we don't really have a shelter emergency type of, of, of room. We have places you apply and then you, you rent. And that is something that we are working, but uh, we have over 500 units that we, of permanent housing that we are proud to own and operate. Um, and um, the newest apartment building we just uh, built and brought online last year but um, housing is a serious, serious problem. And even our older properties, uh, we are trying to get them rebuilt as quickly as possible because uh, um, they're not modernized. Hmm. So, but we're a nonprofit. We can only afford so much at any given time. So when we often um, ra- you know, raise money and we talk to people that are 
in philanthropy, you know, we'll ask them, can you please support our organization so that we can do our best to provide a, um, a, a clean, safe place to live while people are trying to get their lives back in order. So as you can just tell from just that little snippet of a story, you know, how big of a challenge that, you know, that it truly is. It's a massive challenge. I'm impressed. I mean, 500 units seems like a lot of units. It's uh, a lot of units, but it's not nearly enough. No, no. I mean, obviously you can use more. Is the, is the government, either the state or local or federal government subsidizing, I assume? Some of the units are subsidized, uh, and there's uh, a couple different methods. Um, some units we get um, a voucher. We, you know, we, we can um, get an, uh, a HUD voucher that kind of comes through your county. The challenge with that when you accept all those vouchers is that you have to accept who they tell you to accept. And so if, if the person that supplies the voucher says, I don't want this type of offender, I don't want someone that used meth 15 years ago, then a person that's exiting incarceration that had a particular crime type can't live there. Um, so typically when we do have vouchers, it's for a, a specific population. It might be for justice-involved veterans, which is an important population. For sure. You know, it, it might be for, um, uh, you know, someone with a, a mental disability. So we have to be very careful and we can't, just have the entire apartment building um, be set aside with with vouchers because the vouchers aren't open to everyone. So we we, we try to balance all, all of those things. Um, when people come in Washington, certain categories of people exiting um, prison will have a voucher from the Department of Corrections, but that particular voucher will not cover one month's rent. So we, so it has to be supplemented to, you know, so that they can live, um, live in our building. And the last thing that I'll say is you, a lot of your episodes, you've talked about people that have been convicted unfairly for whatever reason, maybe they accepted a plea bargain because they were afraid of the trial process or they didn't have any money or other options. Well, if someone is released, let's say there's, um, you know, uh, uh, if they are released immediately and they are not on supervision in our state, then um, at the point that they walk out the door of that prison, the Department of Corrections in Washington doesn't have any jurisdiction, doesn't have any obligation to support that person financially. So that means that um, all they have is the shirt on their back. And if they had a long sentence Maybe they're, you know, if they had a long stay of incarceration, excuse me, maybe their mother, sister, brother, aunt, uncle passed away and they truly don't have anyone. Um, maybe they uh, plea bargain to a crime that they didn't um, commit or um, and it and it had a, uh, a sexual component to that charge. Then that person um, is even, you know, has an even more difficult time finding housing. So it is a it is a significant problem and we believe that housing is basic housing is a universal right. It's a fundamental right and everyone deserves housing regardless of whatever uh has happened to them in their past. For sure. I, I agree with you. Um I remember uh during one of our earliest episodes we've we've done I believe 10 uh exonerees now mm -hmm. really wonderful uh people that we've met on this show. 
and some who've become good friends. And they've literally explained to me from, from the day we met that if, if you commit a crime that you actually did, you did your time, you get out, you get all kinds of benefits or help with the prison system. They help you find a job. They help you find housing. They help in some, listen, it's not a fabulous help, but they get some help. Mm-hmm. If you're, uh, if you have, if you're wrongfully incarcerated, uh, and you get that conviction overturned, like you said, you go out with a shirt on your back with no help, nothing, no resources. You don't get all the parole benefits. Uh, you don't have any assistance. And I was shocked by that. Absolutely yes. shocked by that, that they made mm-hmm. that distinction and they cut off these people who didn't have any business being there in the first place. Yet they're helping people who had business being there, not saying that they didn't deserve help, but they should make it equal help. They should help everybody. Exactly. I mean, yes, part of um, incarceration, we would hope, is what we call um, reentry planning, where and um, and where people are offered education. Um, They have the chance to get their GED, their associate's degree, um, you know, um, skills so that they can live and support themselves when they're released. When someone um, is exonerated and their case is overturned, a lot of times the, the prisons have 24 hours to release you. And then depending on the type of, of their original sentence, they, in our state, if you're on like a, a life sentence or if you're on a 30-year sentence, you're not eligible for education and you're not offered reentry planning because they don't see reentry for you as being realistic. So, um, so that means that, uh, you, you wouldn't have received the drug treatment that you may have needed and you would still be carrying all the trauma from the incarceration itself. And then you're trying to navigate in this world that has changed hmm. since when you were first, um, put inside, which is so because a lot of yes. people coming out, they don't know, they don't, they've never seen a cell phone. They, yes. they, they don't know how to, to do certain things. Um, I'm curious about, you know, with the thousands of people that you've helped and worked with, what are some of the common stereotypes that people have about people who've been incarcerated? How long do we have for this? We got as long (laughs) as you want. (laughs) I I would say that a common stereotype is that the person is black uh, because uh, while black people and black men are overrepresented, um, not all people that are incarcerated are black. So I'd say that that's one stereotype. And I would say that um, a person that had it, another stereotype is that uh, a person that has been formerly incarcerated isn't, isn't a good worker, that, um, that they're lazy and shiftless. That could be farthest from the truth. That they, um, that, that, that that person hasn't ever been a victim of a crime and, and that they have suffered trauma in their past. Uh, I think that, um, I think many of the stereotypes come from the TV shows that we watch. And unfortunately, you, you know, shows that many Americans, you know, love like law and order and all the spinoffs from law and order. Um, I think that people that uh, make poor choices are portrayed in a way that they're, that um, it's easy to hate, to hate and to be fearful when you don't know them. And, and that is furthest from the truth. I would also say that the type of crime that the person committed has, doesn't really have a bearing on the criminogenic risk going forward. 
So people will tell me, oh my God, you're involved with murderers. You, you, you talk to a murderer. And, um, you know, I have several answers to that. And first of all, a person can be a driver in a gang-related shooting and still receive a murder charge. They may not have been the actual person that pulled the trigger. Um, they could have, um, you know, not gotten um, uh, the proper legal representation, so they pled to that charge. Mm -hmm. So just because uh, a person has a charge of murder doesn't mean that they actually pulled the trigger and harmed someone. Now, there are people that have pulled the trigger and harmed people, and and many of them, um, all they can do is live their life the best they can. They, you know, they there's no amends to be made. Um, but um, they they want to live the best of you know, the rest of their life to the best that they can. And then they want to make their peace with God. Maybe they can make, make peace with the victim. Maybe they can't, but that's all they can do. And once they've completed 20 years, they're 40, 45, 50. Um, their criminogenic risk is as low as yours or mine. Hmm. If you're an old gang member and you're 50, <laughs> Do you really think that if you walk out the doors of prison, that a gang member of today that's 17 is going to invite you back? It's a no. Really good, no, no, it's a, it's a really good point, Karen. What, I mean, so what, what kind of things, you know, how do we change these stereotypes? How do we change people's beliefs? Um, these are all really good points, but uh, I got to imagine, you know, you're, you're helping educate people and, and you're, you're, you know, you have ideas on how we can stop this cycle. I think uh, podcasts like this one that humanize people, um, uh, I think, are very, very important. I also think that, um, you know, maybe as we're coming out of COVID, we've learned something about ourselves. We've learned that we, um, we, we, we need touch and we, 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 we need to have friendships and we need to have relationships and um and maybe this will help us you know rejuvenate our humanity that we can believe a little more in other people mm. um you know if you want to if you allow yourself proximity to be close to someone that is different than you that is different than you um that maybe um you know spent some time in jail Listen to their story and you will see that there's a person in there. Mm -hmm. And um, and more often than not, that person has the same hopes and dreams that a civilian has. They want their parents to be proud of them. They want their children to be proud of them. They want to fall in love. They want to have a place to live. They want to do something every day that makes them feel valuable in society. They mm -hmm. want to vote. They want to pay off their legal and financial obligations. They want to be treated like they're a part of society. They don't want to be a stigma. They don't want to, um, they don't want people to grab their purse when they walk by. So I don't, even if the, the person that you're talking to is heavily tatted, let's say, and has chosen to not have their tattoos removed, 
it does not mean that um, there's not a kind person that's got that has a heart that has a story. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really good answer, and I liked on your website, Karen, uh, about the no labels mm-hmm. and and how you're educating people. Uh, you know, not to call someone out of prison, an ex-convict or an ex-con or an ex-felon. Um, and you give a whole list of, uh, of words and the word and the word that you think is, is appropriate is t- tell our listeners. I think you should always try to identify the individual first. So when we started this show, um, I heard the word inmate. And I just think that that it's easy to call someone that. So try to start with saying an individual who has been incarcerated. Mm -hmm. So you're not labeling that person. An individual who has been in um, jail. An individual who has a felony conviction. So you're just not um, calling them Mm -hmm. felon, convict. Oh, you're personalizing it. Absolutely. Making him a human being. You're calling out the fact that they're a human being who might have made a mistake, who might have been incarcerated, might have been uh, wherever, but they're still might have an individual. Out with the wrong crowd. Right. Might have just happened to be in the car when there was a shooting. You know, so there's many, many stories. Yep. Not smart. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go. Let's go to the jobs. Um, obviously, money you know, helps with adjustments. I know you guys aren't handing out uh, lots and lots of money when people, uh, when an individual who was formerly incarcerated gets out, see how I did that right there. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. Um, you know, so what happens when they're, are, are they facing the same discrimination when they're trying to find a job as they do as they're trying to find an apartment? Yes. Is that absolutely. worse? Is that worse? It's probably not worse. I think it's different. And keep in mind, I have not personally experienced this. I've experienced it as a service provider. So I've, uh, I, I've experienced, I, I've seen the impact on others. And one of the common stories that we hear from people that come in and they want to participate, we have job training classes, we have resume workshops, and we end our full meal deal class we call Roadmap to Success, which is a three-week, eight, you know, eight-hour day cohort-based class where people um, that participate um, really, you know, get case management, employment counseling, access to treatment. We ensure they have housing. They really get the full meal deal to set them on their path to success. And what I've heard from many students over the years is that um, they'll be offered the position They'll accept it. They'll be there for maybe two or three days, and then they'll be asked to leave because their background check came back. Hmm. And um, and that's just, you know, once that happens several times, it's completely disheartening. It can cause a relapse. So, um, so that's a common experience. Another common experience is that um, individuals who have, um, felony convictions, they're underskilled when they enter the labor market, upon entering the labor market. And um, in, in jobs where people can move up, folks that have a felony 
often do not have the same opportunity to move up the career ladder and they stick to the bottom. And, and that stickiness is, um, it's been studied quite a bit and something like only 6% of people who have a former, um, a felony conviction move beyond the bottom um, 20th percentile of all wages. Isn't so we it's, know it's a problem. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to the housing conversation. I mean, the stereotypes, the stigma, um, if you're in a state that you have to report these things to a job, I mean, do you, you have any, uh, compassion's not the right word, but do you have any, um, you know, can you understand where the employers are coming from any fear or you just think it's completely misplaced? I think 90% of the fear is completely misplaced. I mean, so much of it. And, um, there are certain jobs that you probably should not have when you first come out of when you when you um, when you when you come from prison. And what comes to mind is a person that had an embezzlement sentence and maybe had a five you know five year sentence. You would not want to hire that individual as your chief financial officer. Mm-hmm. It's 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 too proximate. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, could you hire that person into your organization? Absolutely. Right. And um, in what and we take in our country, this blanket approach, no matter what your crime was, you're not worthy for us to hire you anymore. And um, and then every employer that I talk to, they say, well, you know, they take an approach that they're kind of helpless about it. Well, our insurance company won't allow it to do this, allow us to do this. Or um, our customers might be uncomfortable. And they assume. They're looking for cover. They're looking for cover. Yeah. And they'll assume that another company will hire them. And so I think that that's not a responsible way to be. Um, 90% of the fear and apprehension is misplaced. Do you see this? You know, we see so much racial uh, racial inequities in our legal system. Mm -hmm. And we know. We know that by who's going to prison, right? But what yeah. about coming out of prison? Are you seeing the same racial inequities once they're released, once the individuals are released? It's compounded, actually. So hmm. it's not only is it racial inequity, but then you have, you know, the barrier of the of the felony. And um, so it's it's even I would say it's even worse. That's interesting. I, I didn't. You're, uh, so you could be a minority and have a felony. It does compound. It compounds it. it. The, 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 the black person, the black man may not get the job anyway, even if he wasn't incarcerated, mm-hmm. but you add the felony to him and it's a disaster and it's sad. Yes. And, it's, and, and I don't, I mean, that's a hard one. I read a statistic just the other day that, um, during, um, our last economic expansion when unemployment was around 5% for people that had a felony conviction, the average unemployment was 35% and black men was a tick higher right around 37% and black women was even higher than that. Something around, around 42%. So that alone should tell you that, um, that we have a ways to go. And the employers that do open up their places of employment to people with um, felony 
convictions in their past. They report that they're, they have lower turnover, mm. loyal employees, mm. and there is no difference in how often they call in sick, how, how, how well they do at their job than with the, you know, than with the civilian workforce that they have. So again, it is some, it, it's, it's not based in fact, this fear that um, many companies have. It's interesting. I, I don't know if um, I don't know what you're doing out in Seattle, but I don't think uh, here in Michigan they do a great job of, you know, getting that message out. Uh, I think those are great statistics, and I've never been contacted by anybody. Would you be willing to do this or that? And I'm a business owner, and I have 140, 50 employees. It's just interesting that that um, those type of statistics are meaningful. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We have a company, a nonprofit here called What's Next Washington. And so what they're trying to do is, is they've developed a tool that an, em an employer can use to help them feel better about hiring um, folks that um, have been formerly incarcerated. So hopefully that will help make a difference in Washington. Hmm. You know, as a society, how do we level the playing field and eliminate or reduce these social inequities uh, other than podcasts? I mean, what are you guys seeing and how are you doing it? I think that we all have to come together and work to change hearts and minds. And, and, and I think we have to pull every lever that we have. Um, I'm uh, in a, a group of um, Jewish rabbis in Washington, and I asked them to start with their congregations you know, ministering and preaching on love for others. So that's one start. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, using any bully pulpit that we have so that we can begin to break down um, this barricade that we all have around our hearts when it comes to um, people that are formerly incarcerated. You know, I often talk to folks and they'll say, well, I've got a cousin that's been in jail for or prison. And, you know, he just never, you know, they, you know, it's something to the frame of he could never do right. And um, and I, I asked that person, you know, what trauma led that person down that path? And they'll say, well, he never did well in school. And then he got caught up in the wrong crowd or they'll say, you know, drugs are involved. I mean, there's just kind of, there, there are several stories, right? And um, he was always a difficult child, never could follow rules, right? Um, I mean, and, um, and, I, and I'd say, well, what type of services have you given that individual? Where, um, you know, there's been some, or has it just been more like a whip, Um you know, some people never do become what we call pro-social, but, but I would submit to you that that's less than 5% of the prison population today. Mm. Everyone else, they, wanna, they want to be a part of the society that we live in, and they want to be treated as an equal. Is, is expungement a major part of this is, is expungement an answer that 
if we freely give it for the for the categories that they're giving expungement. You know, we know that they're not giving expungement for the most violent uh, crimes and and some sex crimes, but you know, for the vast majority of crimes, people are are some states are starting to be more liberal with expunging mm-hmm. the crimes, and then if somebody uh, applies for a job or housing, they can legally say they are not a felon or a past felon or an individual mm-hmm. who committed a past crime. Um, is, are, are you guys advocating for that? That seems like a, seems like a answer. Yes. I think that the ability to um, look on Google to see if someone um, has formerly been incarcerated or even arrested. I, I think that that, um, that type of information is damaging In Washington, most of our expungement processes relate to juveniles and things that happen to a juvenile when they're under the age of 18. And for adults, we have vacation. And um, we've certainly been working hard to um, seal those records, for a lack of a better word, um, and expand and make easier the process to have a sentence vacated. Hmm. But it is... uh, it's not an easy road to hoe. There are many people that um, believe that once you commit a crime, you have a, you have a C on your forehead or an F on your forehead for the rest of your life. And that's unfortunately some of those people with that mindset are in our, in our legislature. I don't disagree. Unfortunately, are you optimistic though, with a new president and a new Congress uh, that we will um, see some improvements made to the to the criminal justice system. I'm very optimistic with uh, you know with uh, this this president. And uh, one example is um, um, when when Barack Obama was president, they had a National Reentry Week, and it was in the last week of April. And then when President Trump was elected, that whole recognition went away. And uh, when President Biden was elected uh, in January, April, you know, again, we're talking about reentry week nationally. So and this is before he's really even had a chance to, uh, you know, to kind of get his feet on the ground. So, um, you know, I am very, very confident. And interestingly enough, it's reentry is an issue that moderate Republicans support Hmm. because moderate Republicans want to see people working and productive and good employees and paying taxes. And, um, and so really it's more when we get into um, politics of, you know, the far right where, you, you see people being unwilling to give others another chance. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, our, my fingers are crossed and I know yours are as well. Uh, Karen, this has been great. If people want to learn more about pioneer human services and how they can contribute, uh, how do they do that? They come to our website and, um, and we've got a lot of information on the website that we think that people would find interesting. 
Um, so please peruse the website as pioneerhumanservices.org. .org. And I um, also encourage you to take our mass incarceration quiz. So pioneerhumanservices.org forward slash quiz, where um, you can see what you know and, um, and, uh, and learn something. And follow my LinkedIn. If you, uh, I would love for you to follow my LinkedIn. It's Karen Lee, Pioneer Human Services. And um, join our Facebook. We also tweet. Uh, just just become a follower of all the okay. work that we do. We would appreciate that. I'm going to do all of those things today. I'm going to encourage our listeners and viewers to do that. We're going to add links to our show notes. We'll send you a copy of it all so you can also share. And uh, it's such a pleasure uh, talking to you today, learning from you today. And thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been such a pleasure to, to talk with you today. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Karen Lee from Pioneer Human Services in Seattle, Washington. Some really interesting ideas. I'm going to go take the quiz. I wasn't very good at quizzes and tests in my childhood, but I'm going to take this one uh, until I got to law school, that is. I did okay in law school. If you know anybody who needs to hear this episode, learn some of these things, forward this to them, comment, like, please subscribe. As you know, you're one of over 3 million listeners to this show. Um it's been a crazy run. So many viewers and listeners, and we just love you all for tuning in. Thank you for being interested in this. It really makes a difference. We do need to educate. Like Karen said, we do need to pass the word along. People need to know how to refer to people who have formerly been in prison or jail. I learned that I'm going to do my best to try to uh, use better words um, when I'm talking about people who were formerly incarcerated. They are individuals. These are people. Anyway, thanks for watching. Thanks for being a fan. Talk to you next time.